if I wrote a letter to myself when I was 21 years old, the message would be everything's going to be okay. And the second thing is exactly what our CEO preaches. His name's Chris Baden. He says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Try this bad boy out for science. You are welcome to take a seat at the table where we use a new lens, where humanity are stakeholders. Different distinctions encouraged, intention starts from a no-judgment zone, a certain age is not criteria, and where you become comfortable with the uncomfortable to facilitate a new conversation. Welcome to the decision table, Sean. Thank you. We literally just have really casual conversations. We just happen to press live at the same time because I get to meet some amazing people across the world and I want to share those learnings that we get from having a conversation with each other. I think that the amazing thing about the human race is what I call our muscle of human intelligence where we have all this amazing data in our brains that you've got. I've got, and let's have a conversation and find out a little bit more about that and maybe even learn something from that. So that's what this is about. We have daily conversations here on the decision table, and every month I have a theme. So last month, our theme was the, well, I'm writing a white paper around the need for a new approach to leadership. So the whole lens that we had last month was the need for a new approach to leadership. This month, which is actually the next white paper, once I've completed that one, I will be writing this one. And this is about the importance of the muscle of human intelligence. And like I said, the muscle of human intelligence, the basic, basic way to say or to think about it for me is the data we have as a human. You know, what are we doing with that? How do we build on that? What does that look like? So that's our lens this month. And I know you're all things communication. I heard from the bird (laughs) up in the sky. Actually, I saw it on Facebook, to be honest. And, you know, when you think of communication and human intelligence, what does that trigger? Sales. Sales. (laughs) Tell me more. Yeah. So I guess maybe I could just start go back 20 years real quick and just kind of. Sure. We've got all the time in the day. So go for it. Yeah. So about 20 years ago, I came out of college. I, you know, I had a full ride to play baseball. So I was an athlete growing up my whole life. And I, when I first started in sports, I was not really ever a captain of the team until I got a little bit to that place where I started noticing like, oh my gosh, the captains of the team seem to get more respect. I want more respect. And when I was growing up, I was like, okay, so how do I become a captain of the team? And that sparked like, how do I learn how to become a captain of the team? Well, monkey see, monkey do, right? Like if you think yeah. about you think about cows, when cows first come into, you know, they're born, they don't know to eat grass and they don't know to like walk out in the pasture. They do it by watching their mother. And like when they want milk, they go to their mother. And, and so the progressive is like a baby cow watches a mama cow and then becomes a mama cow at some stage. Same thing in the sporting environment. It's like if you start on a team and you see the captain and you aspire to become a captain of a team, then you watch what the captain does and start doing those things, eventually get noticed and then step up into a captain's role. And so I just kind of that was what was ingrained in my head as I was growing up. And so that's kind of it's perfect, important muscle of human intelligence is 
I think that first piece is very visual, right? So, you know, as, as I say in, in professional communication, body language is 55% of the entire conversation every time. 38% is how you say what you say. 7% is the words that come out of your mouth. And so literally like knowing that it's like, okay, you just got to act the part to begin with in sports. And so I came out of college and I was like, okay, now what? And I only had one question on my mind and I was like, I want to make a lot of money. How do I do that? So I literally went to the only person that I could like think of that had had some success was my dad. He had a very small import export cookware business. And so I called him and I said, Hey dad, I want to make a lot of money. How do I do it? And he says, well, you can be three things. I said, okay, are you a CEO? He asks me. And I said, I'm not a CEO. I just, I just came out of college, right? Are you an entertainer? And I go, oh man, like I can't sing or dance or rap like that. I'm not, I've never practiced that something, not me, right? So he goes, okay, well, you better go learn sales. Okay, great. So the guy that I was like looking up to and thinking about, and I still look up to my dad, I love him. I went and got a sales job and I sucked. I was so bad. <laughs> So bad. And here's what I mean. Like for eight weeks or sorry, for six weeks, every day I would pick up a, like a big manufacturer's director. I was selling commodities. So I was selling like aluminum extrusion that would go in the windows that would hold the windows into the house kind of a thing. Um, By the I, way, I think I would be bad if I was selling that too. Just for yeah, so it was like, it was a hard thing to sell. We were selling all types of things. So window and door hard locks, extrusions, sheet metal parts, electronic circuit boards, like stuff that everybody needs and uses, but nobody cares about. Like that's yeah. what I was kind of selling, right? Yeah. And I was so bad at it for six weeks every day. Monday through Friday, I would make 80 cold calls, right? To people I never met before. Yeah. And literally 2,400 attempts. I made <laughs> zero appointments. Wow. For six That's weeks, moving. right? You know, like I didn't quit because growing up in sports is like, you don't quit. So I was like, okay, I give myself eight weeks. So I had two weeks left and my boss comes around and he says to me, I remember this like yesterday. He's like, Sean, like you better figure this out or you're going to get fired. So this is on Friday afternoon. So I'm freaking out. I got two weeks left before I throw in the towel completely. I like run home and I'm like, called up my dad. I'm like, dad, <laughs> like, what do I do? He goes, go to the library and read a book. I was like, thank you for the advice. <laughs> I go to the library and I picked up, uh, actually still have it on my shelf here, but it's uh, Tom Hopkins, how to master the art of selling anything. Ah, yes. Perfect. Right. So I start reading it. I get to like chapter seven. Remember this little paragraph. I was like, Ooh, never heard that before. That's different. So I started, I was like, I'm going to rent this book. So I went and I rented a book. I took it home and I sat in front of that mirror for hours. And I just started rehearsing this line over and over and over and over. I'm like, I'm going to use this when I go on my call. So Monday, I show up at the office, pick up my phone. I start making the call. My first call, I get to the place where I'm supposed to say this little line. And the hair stands up on my neck. I'm freaking out. I'm like, going to work? What's going to happen? Like, And I say it and I completely butchered the whole thing. Like destroyed it. Didn't even say it well. But the guy on the other end received it okay. And he said, yeah, come on over Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. I was like, <gasps> I was so excited behind the phone, but you know, you got to act cool, right? So I was like, of course. I was freaking out. I was excited. And then I got off the phone and I started like jumping around. My boss comes around and he was like, hey, did you close the deal? I was like, no, I just set an appointment. <laughs> and so at that stage, when that happened to me, I was like, oh my gosh, this is the rush that I got from all that frustration and anger of not making an appointment for six weeks flooded out of my body. And I was just in this place where I was like, this is a great feeling. I want to continue having this feeling over and over. I'm going to dedicate my life to learning communication, which would include things like- You thought that was a great feeling? After I made an appointment? Yes. Oh, after you made the appointment. Okay. I'm thinking that build up, like of not doing it, not doing it, not doing it. How did that make you feel? 
like a garbage can. I mean, how else are you going to feel, right? Like you just get. Why didn't you just give up then? Like, why did you push beyond that? There's many that wouldn't have kept going. Yeah, no, no. And I, I totally agree. Like, I, but here's where my mentality was. Like, I'd never failed at anything in my life growing up into that. Point. Ah, okay. And so I was like, if I've never failed it, I'm not going to fail at this. Right. And so I just had that in me, right? And whether it came from sports or whether it came from like good parenting, and I'm so grateful I have like great parents that are still together yeah. and crushing it. And, and it's like, I didn't want to quit, but I did give myself a time limit. I gave myself eight weeks. And so this happened yeah, right. within six weeks. So I was going to throw in the towel at eight weeks, but I ended up not having to luckily. So, so where does that, that fail, not going to fail? How does that serve you when it comes to business? Yeah. So I can serve good and bad, right? So I think on exactly on, that's why I'm asking the question. Yeah, so, so like on the good side, I'd say, you know, I always get up one more time than I fall down. And I always talk about this yeah. thing persistence, right? Like I always talk about like, if you get knocked down, just get up one more time, then you fall down and you'll never, you'll never fail at anything, right? Is kind of the mentality that I have. And then the second part is like conviction. Mm. Like my dad said, I want to make a lot of money. That was my motivator. So that was the end goal. And I think a lot of people lose sight of like where they plant their flag on the top of the hill because they get in the weeds. And so what I did is like, I just wanted to make a lot of money. My dad said, hey, I could be a CEO. I could be an entertainer. I could be a sales guy. I was like, I'm going to be the best sales guy I could possibly be because the other two are kind of out of my realm at that time. So I was like, this is what it's got to be. And so I just went die hard into it. And literally like, as soon as I set that first appointment though, I yeah. felt really, really, really good. In the bad way that that could serve you, just to answer your question fully, is literally like you don't give up when you know you should give up, when you've beaten a dead horse and there's yeah. no more beating of a horse anymore. Yeah. Like if you continue down that path, you're going to get this And Einstein's definition of insanity. Keep doing the same <laughs> thing, expecting different results. Never yeah. happen, right? Yeah. But here's the thing. Humanity seems to do it a lot. We yeah. see the patterns across the world right now. There is so much. And yet I wonder why we continue to keep doing the same thing. Is it because we're too fearful to move into the next thing? Is it because there's so much uncertainty with the pathway ahead? You go with the dead horse rather than go with the live and think that maybe there's opportunity for something else. What do you think? Well, my personal opinion is yeah, that- Yeah, that's what it's about. I love it. Thank you, Siri. <laughs> Thank you for that. My opinion on that is literally most people go into something and they don't set up the boundaries before they begin the game. I even talk about this in like sales conversations. When you're having sales conversation- and I learned this halfway through my journey of spending half a million dollars to learn it is like, if you don't set the rules of the call or the game, there's like void expectations. And then the sales calls get really salesy and weird and there's no rules and you can't follow it down the path. And it's the same thing when you're doing anything. So it's like, why do people do it? Is it because they don't have the foresight to say, if this, then that, right? All you need to do is set up a couple of if then statements at the end of, if this goes really wrong, then what happens and like having the idea to talk through that before you go into any endeavor, whether it be a sales conversation or an, a business grouping or, you know, some sort of business. I think that's where people get kind of hung up and they just dive in because they're like, oh, big shiny object. Let's go get it. Yeah. And you don't think about what's, you know, like what could happen. It's interesting because you talk about persistence and I wonder if because you were sort of brought up within the sporting arena, I too was. And like, you know, I played a lot of team sport and I don't know if you've heard of ever the game of netball, but it was very, very strong game in New Zealand. And in fact, I was in league netball, which is top netball in high school, told I should go try out for the New Zealand netball team. 
anyway, sabotaged a whole lot of my life and never did it. I was one of those people. I could have, should have, would have, didn't do it. And it's all okay. But here's the thing. I think I learned so many great skills and abilities, not just on the sporting field, but to work with teams, to build, you know, you're not going to get better if you don't practice. If you want to be the best on the court, then you've got to spend the hours putting it in, figuring it out, playing, getting beaten up, whatever it is, falling over. And I wonder if that has a huge play in those that can make decisions going forward, whether in business or in whatever they're building out on, because you just know what persistence does. You know that if you, like you said, if there's a time frame to it, you know if there's a set goal. The reason I question it so much and why I'm bringing it up is because I see so many people and I've had so many conversations in the last little while of people who go, just give me the right pill. Just show me the model that I have to do. Give it the plan to me. I'll just do that and it'll all work and I'll get the result I want. And I just go, I cannot even fathom doing it that way. Like they're so far from my thinking. Any thoughts around that? Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I mean, everybody's looking for the, you know, the get struck by lightning and make a bunch of money, right? Like I want the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, but I'm not willing to like learn how to fly through the air to get there, you know, like, and that's kind of the whole mentality. So I, I feel like, I think it has a lot to do with the society and instant gratification. It's like, you get a credit card. That was the first big thing. And it's like, now you can just pay for stuff and put it on credit. And then you run into credit card debt, right? Like, it's just, people want that immediate Mm. or that kind of that answer. And I just, I don't see, I'm an elder millennial. It's like the last year before, (laughs) like out of the millennials, right? And so as I look at some of the millennials and Gen Xs and some of these guys coming up that are actually running our future or soon to be running our future, I'm like, man, their parents had a totally different perception of what work ethic was and what persistence is. Exactly. Them now. And so I think the economic shift has been, I think, because of the landscape that's been laid out in front of us and like instant gratification and, you know, that kind of a thing. Internet, obviously, like instant access to a lot of places that we didn't have before. And so, you know. So is this a good thing, a bad thing or, you know, what are you thinking? Oh, I think it's a wonderful thing. I think it's absolutely... I would say the ability to execute in such a fast pace is a wonderful thing because somebody can have a brilliant idea and now they can reach a bunch of people that might need that idea so they can make an impact in their world. Okay, so that's one side of it. But on the other side of it, you could have an idea, it could hit an impact, but go viral and someone absolutely destroy that. Yes, yes. I totally agree with you 100%. Especially if that happens, here's the problem. I don't believe that some of those younger people have the kind of legs of like what happens when you get hit and knocked down. If they Ah, haven't been hit and knocked down that hard, they're going to probably crumble if they don't have like good coaching or a support team around. That's why I love what you and Taki do. Like I know Taki a little bit and I just love like the support. I know him a little bit too. Yeah, I'd hope so. (laughs) (laughs) I love the support structure that you guys have put around your tribe. You've created a really nice movement. Yeah. So. Yeah. But here's the thing, like, So I bring that up, gratification, because, and the good and the bad of it, because I think that there is so much that we're like, hey, if I tell the world this, then they're going to know all about it and this is going to be amazing. And you build almost who you are on that. And I don't know that that's a smart thing because the world is so fickle right now. 
and what is not necessarily going to work for the world like it works for other people but not necessarily for you or for what you're building or staying in your own lane it's like that shiny you know object syndrome thing like it's so easy to go off here because everyone's doing it but that doesn't necessarily mean it's the right thing or the most beneficial for you or your sphere of influence right yeah i totally agree i always believe in the kind of the three-step process it goes mind work skill work and then network Right. Oh, and nice. so like you got to have the mind work first, meaning if you have a bad attitude or you wake up and you're on the wrong side of the bed, like the only person that could change that is you. And I think we all know that, you know, the mind work is really saying things like affirmations, having a morning routine, doing a primal walk, going like those kinds of things. And like, as you look at all these really uber successful online entrepreneurs, they all have a very relevant like routine that they go through keep their head in the right space because we can all agree that there's a lot of trash that's out there that can kind of leak in, especially like if you have the wrong sphere of influence in your friends, like mm-hmm. that's a bad thing, right? So, and then secondly is skill work. Someone says, mm-hmm. Ooh, I want to build the biggest YouTube channel on earth. Okay, great. That's fine. But are you going to do the skill work you need to be able to achieve that? And I think a lot of people miss that step because yeah. they're not willing to put in the work, right? So persistence is one. We talked about that. The two other, when somebody once asked me, they said, Sean, what's the one skill that would make a sales guy like more better than anybody else on planet earth? And I said, there's not one, there's three. So one of them is persistence. You got that one. The second Mm. one's conviction. And then the third one's consistence. So if you have those three, right? So if you have persistence, conviction, and consistence, I believe you can conquer about anything because that'll handle the skill work. And then it'll actually give you the ability to have the conversation to develop the network. Yeah. Let's talk about conviction. So I always, with clients, we make sure I teach the V spot, which is literally your vision, right? But it's just a little bit more stirring when you're in disruptive when you say V spot. I laugh because I worked with a couple of South Africans last night and I said, okay, great. Now we've got your V spot. And they just were like, okay. And then they laugh. They got it. Anyway, that was a little (laughs) distraction there. But here's the thing. So the vision is so important. And for me, vision is without a vision and where you are going towards, it is really hard to go anywhere. And so there's conviction with it. And for me, conviction comes around the whole fact of what are the drivers that are going to drive that vision? What are the pillars that are going to hold it? And there are always four pillars to it. And then what are those four drivers that go with that? Tell me what conviction means for you. So such a wonderful question, and I'm really grateful that you have framework around it, especially easy to absorb framework. For me, conviction came in the sense of a story, right? So I remember when we had our first software company, and Russell told us, because we're in the inner circle with Russell Brunson for mm. several, several years, and he said to us, he said, at one point, because we were sharing our journey with him, he goes, Sean, I'm going to be the tough coach that says the hard thing to you right now. He goes, you hate the person you're serving. You're doing two things. You're working 20 hours a week. You're in burnout alley right now. You need to kill your baby. That's what he said to us. And literally it was like, wait a minute, Russell, we have this software company that's cranking seven figures, multiple seven figures. You're telling us to kill the baby. And he said, yes. And I think back to myself and I'm like, oh, conviction. Like what is, this is not giving me that lifestyle that I originally set out to. And what happened for me is I got stuck in the weeds and I didn't see it. So it took a coach saying, yo, man, your goal was on the top of this mountain over here, but you're over here in these muddy weeds. And this is nothing that is not even on the right path. 
you need to like back out and go the right direction. And so that was kind of the first aha moment. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, we just built this thing that's crushing it. What do we yeah. do next? And I called my dad again because he's always been one of those people that I can rely on and is a great mentor for me. And he goes like, he tells me this story. It was so good. We were actually in Louisiana. We were fishing on the bayou. It was just like a fun thing. We do like to travel a bit. And he says to me, he's like, yo, man, go get yourself, a, he called it a gallon of beer, but it was actually like, a go get yourself a case of beer, go sit <laughs> on the railroad tracks and think about why you're convicted or not convicted about doing the thing that you want to do. And I was like, yeah. a big question, right? So I went down the railroad tracks and I grabbed these beers and I'm sitting there and I was just thinking to myself, I was like, okay, what do I want to do now? So like, cause I knew I needed to sell a software company. Like, what am I good at? Alex Sharfin told us, we asked him like, what are you good at? He said sales. He goes, guess what? All these online entrepreneurs, they kind of suck at sales. You should go talk to them, <laughs> right? And I'm like, well, thanks, Alex. Love you for that one. And, um, <laughs> this is sort of thing he would say too. <laughs> yeah. I can't do his voice. Otherwise, I'd do his voice. But it's I, Yeah, that one. Um, <laughs> and so, and I'm sitting here on this railroad tracks. So I'm thinking to myself, I was like, okay, like I've spent like so much money, so much time, energy, effort, like learning a sales skill. And I know I could just let it out. Like, why am I not convicted about trying, going and trying that? Yeah. And I took out a notebook and I started writing all the reasons why I wasn't convicted. And then I sat there and I read through them. I was like, what do I need to believe? What does Sean need to believe to overturn this statement? And I sat there and I went through each one of these things. And then I, eventually I overturned all of them. And I'm like, I stood up and I was like, I don't feel any weight on my shoulders. Like, this is good. Like, I'm wearing this thing right now. Like, I want to go in that direction. And so that kind of took us off into we launched our own high ticket sales consulting agency we crushed it. And then all of a sudden last, you know, about six, eight months ago, we turned into our second leg of our company. We're now building like a pretty big mastermind, big tribe after that too. So oh, I love that. yeah, I think the conviction thing is interesting, but I do believe that if you don't have conviction, especially in the sales profession, like stop what you're doing, go figure out why you're not convicted, write it down on a piece of paper and then figure out what you need to believe to overturn each one of those. Then you'll get to a conviction spot. Here's the interesting thing about that though. So conviction, you took that moment to ask that question. Mm -hmm. I think there's so many humans right now, if we think of the muscle of human intelligence, the reason I press on human intelligence is because I think that this is the secret advantage to us making smarter decisions at the decision table. And I think of this as the, re you know, you were the prime example that you were heading down a way. It was being successful but it's not necessarily what you're actually wanting or needing to do going forward. I think so many humans right now don't think for themselves. We either rely on things like AI to now come up with the next smartest thing to help us to be smarter people. And I think that we have so, like, I just think of my son. He was born with half his brain brain damage, speckles all over the other side, right? Now, I could have thought and listened to the doctors and gone, okay, at best, he's going to be in a vegetated state. Like, that's what they told us. And I'll never forget it going, I remember getting told we have so many brain cells in our head, but we don't access them all. And I think that so often, and in the case of Ethan, I just kept going, okay, he's just wired to the wrong brain cells right now. We need to access some of those that are functioning, that are live, and re-plug into that. And that's what he's done. And, I mean, he's now 20, he's going to be 21 this year. And, you know, where it was totally brain damaged for his speaking, his communication, 
He talks very well these days. In fact, sometimes we like him to stop talking, you know. So there's just so much. I think we have so much that we take for granted, so much that we just go, this is what we kind of keep doing. But when we get the right question that stops us in our tracks and we start looking through a different lens, like in your case, the conviction, well, if I was to be convicted, what would that be about? What would that look like? How could I do that? It actually changes everything. And, you know, it kind of concerns me that we have humans that are sort of getting stuck in conditionings, stuck in systems that are not serving them and using biases that have maybe been things that have brought down in generations, even environments, whatever it is, and continue to bring that to the table. Any thoughts around that? I just 100% agree with you on that. I think it's a shame because, I mean, like we are capable of things that, I mean, you can do anything you want in this world. You just have to set your mind to it and then put the blinders on like and shut out all the noise and pressure around because I think there's that you talk about biases, right? Like I study biases and even the meta biases that are out there. Ah, yes. and, and so I think like the social norms bias and some of these other ones that kind of yeah. creep in and it's just like you see the majority of people doing it. And especially if those people are very similar to what you're doing and then they're mm-hmm. doing it, like you're going to go probably do the same thing. And I think, unfortunately... Because it's you have instant accessibility all over the world through the internet and other great places, like that bias or that norm will, will actually start to creep and it creeps harder and harder and harder each and every day and it captures these people and it puts them into this state of like sleep. And so, you know, it's your job and my job to wake them up, shake them out of it. Like, so how do we do that better? How can we do that more effectively? Ask good questions. Yeah. Then what do we do with those questions? See, this this is the thing we're having, you know, and I totally agree with you that it's almost like then you creep into this bias and you live bias. That's all Mm -hmm. I can think of. Right. And then you if you choose not to, you're actually being disruptive. But that's actually not a really easy pathway. I don't know about you, but I know for me personally, when I'm asking these questions, there comes the point that people are really questioning why I'm even asking that question. And then I'll hear some responses later and I go, wow, they never even heard me and what I was saying there or because it's not something that they can relate to. So how do we start bridging that gap and narrowing that gap from, you know, we're thinking right now to maybe what needs to be communicated and then taken on board for people to start owning and changing the direction? Yeah, I think the and the only the thing that popped in my mind is the three levels of impact in any sales conversation. I think it could become very valid in any world conversation. And the answer is to very straightforward answer to this question is your questioning strategy, you have to walk the line between fear and anxiety. Because anxiety is the deepest level of fear, right? Mm-hmm. So if you can get into just below fear, right above anxiety. And you can hover on that line and you can ask questions that punch people in the gut that they have to actually stop and it stops their thought process and then they have to reprocess. That's when you kind of, that's the shake. That's like the shock on their heart. But that's pattern interruption, right? So it would start with a pattern interruption and then it would move into what I would call like a business indication question. So we'll go down the path of a sales conversation. So I would say, hey, Kiri, do you struggle with putting the right people on your calendar? Are you frustrated with, this? Do you get concerned when this happens? Are you pissed off 
that this goes on in your business. And I mm. use those emotional trigger words to take it from that pattern interrupt into kind of that first business impact level. And yeah. then there's a series of eight questions that I ask that were formed by people way smarter than me, these psychologists, here they are. First one is, tell me more about that. Second one is, can you be more specific? Maybe give me an example. Third one is, how long has this been a problem? And then the fourth one drops from business indication into business impact, which is the second level, is what have you tried to do to fix that? Mm. Instead of me as the coach or whoever teaching, I'm asking them like, no, no, no. What have you already tried? Meaning I assume that you've already tried something. And then these people are like, oh, and they have to think and it swaps <laughs> the whole conversation, right? Yeah, because it's not a normal question, by the way, that you'd yeah, be, yeah. it's not. Yeah. So it's, what have you tried? And by yeah. the way, did that work is the next one. How'd that and work? And of course it didn't, or otherwise we'd be where we want to be, right? Right. And then now you've got, and I hang in those two questions. Oh, you read a book. Oh, what did you learn from the book? Oh my gosh. Have you gone to a seminar? Maybe that. Did you hire a coach? Like there's all yeah. these things that I start firing questions, right? What have you tried? Did that work? What have you tried? Did that work? And that gets into that real hardcore business impact. And then I say something into the, now when you take them from business impact, here's where you get from fear to the anxiety line. Then you say, man, how much does all that stuff cost you? Yeah, of course. Because the now- total. Right into, their, right into their pocketbook, right? <laughs> you're digging that knife and you're going. Yep. And then they yeah. say, oh, it's cost me all this time and energy and money and blood and sweat and tears and angry and all this other, all these emotions start to leak out. And you say, how do you feel about that? And now it's into this place where they're like, this guy's in my head. It's very personal. And then my last question to bring them back out of that, because you can go too deep in a sales conversation, yeah. right? You can get them to such a place of pain that they never, ever want to talk to you again. And mm -hmm. so I advise not to do that. But the question that comes back out, the last question, those magic eight questions where I call them, it's like, but all this makes sense. I understand this is what you've done. This is what you've tried. This is how much you've spent. This is how you feel about that. And that sucks. I agree with you. But you haven't given up trying, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, no, no, no. I really want to solve this. Okay, great. Let's move on. Right. And then I can back myself out of that. And then I can go down the pain funnel again. I call it the pain funnel. Right. So there's yeah. eight magic questions. And I believe that's really the answer is like you asked, how do you shake them up? How do you wake them up as you make it personally impacting in every conversation that you have? It's interesting because as a human race, we tend to move towards the positive, the happy, the things like that. We don't often want to go into the pain. We don't often want to feel that or be in that. And so if we're having conversations, we tend to say the happy things that make people happy. And that seems to be much more accepted. We don't tend to talk about problems. We don't, I can tell you 4 million times, if I just say, hey, I did this, you know, I had this great coffee at the local coffee shop. It was amazing. And I had a cheesecake made out of keto. And I will get so many comments and posts and likes and loves and whatever. If I do one about something that I feel really strongly about human trafficking and the pain behind that and what are we thinking and what are you doing about that? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And I find that, you know, like I find that really frustrating, A, as a human, but B, because I often think that across the globe right now, we are caring about things that are not even like who cares it's first world problems or it's first do you know what I mean like why do we care so much about that and why is that so much more acceptable 
you know, rather than going into that pain, feeling that pain and then going, I'm going to change because that's the thing with this, like the human trafficking side of it. I want people to think about it because often we aren't even aware of it. Then what if you were aware about it? What are you going to then own, right? What are you going to then change? But we don't work like that as a human race. We really don't. Yeah. Well, I haven't seen it work like that. Yeah, I'll, I'll say it's kind of like a higher level communicator. And the reason I say higher level communicator is just because I've studied it for a really long time. There's five buying emotions, as you'd call them. Yeah. Right? So the, there's only two reasons why people actually buy something or move in a direction to do something. So in your example, you said, I went and I had this really lovely coffee and then I got this keto cake and it was so delicious and it was a wonderful yeah. experience. You're talking about pleasure. Yeah. So people run, they make decisions moving towards pleasure and then people make decisions when they move away from pain. And so if those yes. are the only two buckets, we can agree on this. It's like the only two buckets yeah. of why somebody makes a decision. Then we just have to learn like what level of emotional pain does it take to actually get somebody over that hump. So what you could have did, let's go back to the coffee example. Yeah. So I'll just share this real quick. Pain in the present is the most biggest motivator for somebody to take action now. Pain in the present would be like, oh, shoot, my checkout page just went down and I just ran this webinar and there's supposed yeah. to be 3,000 buyers. I need this fixed now. Your hair is now. coming out. You're seeing red. Emergency SOS. Yeah. Right. So people yeah. buy for that reason. Pain in the present is the most powerful. Second one is pain in the future. Mm. This would be like opportunity cost. So it's like if you don't involve yourself in Talkie's coaching program, for example, you're yeah. going to miss out on all these future sales and what's that going to be mm -hmm. worth to you and how are you going to feel about that kind of a thing, right? So yes. that's pain in the future. That's the second one. And then there's pleasure in the present. Mm -hmm. You just said it. It's like, hey, I want a coffee because it makes me feel good. I want the keto pie because it makes me feel good. You were talking about the third emotional reason is mm -hmm. pleasure in the present. And then there's pleasure in the future. Hey, the summer's coming. I want to buy a boat so I can go enjoy the sunshine. That's pain, mm -hmm. pleasure in the future. And then the last one is curiosity. So those are the kind yeah. of the five buying emotions. Now I've given you the kind of the context. Let's go back to the coffee example for a second. You, what you said was very interesting, right? It was that third mm -hmm. word. It was pleasure in the present. It's like, I'm going, present. To get coffee, yeah. I'm going to get a cake. What you could mm -hmm. have said is you said, man, I'm really suffering from a migraine headache because I'm lacking caffeine in my life right now. So I'm going to, I heard about this kick-ass coffee shop. Mm -hmm. Have you heard about it? It's the same conversation, but you're now eliminating a pain in the present, but it's almost the same conversation, right? And then if you look at like human trafficking, for example, is such a bad thing. And I'm so mm -hmm. grateful that there's people like you and doing what you're doing and like Russell and all these other people is like, you're shining the big flashlight on all the cockroaches. So they disappear, which I love. And literally like you could go down. It's very easy to get into a lot of pain very quickly with that mm -hmm. conversation. Right? Of course, of course. Like, is what I shared with you earlier is you can get too much pain where people run away. But that's what's happening is people are running away. Right. Because it's easier for us to run away than to go towards. And I get that. I totally get that. But th nothing will change if we keep running away. I 100% agree with you. And so then I think like where the trick could be is like, look at the messaging. Instead mm. of saying, hey, if you're going to stop these human traffickers, maybe that's too painful for somebody here versus... Yeah. What is it going to feel like when you see the video or you even get the chance to go and watch this new baby girl that's 15 years old, completely freed out of this shackles of the worst place on earth and you can reunite her with a family and now she's going to live a great life. How's that going to make you feel?
That's mm -hmm. pleasure, right? The same message, but it's just hitting on a pleasure versus a pain. And mm -hmm. so the, the communication thing and what's so perfect about like the human intelligence piece is like when you get to topics that you can dive into pain too deeply, we just need to be a little careful of what the message needs to say. Oh, that's so interesting. You know, that for me is what I'm going to take out of our conversation because I've never thought of it quite that way of, I mean, I've thought of it as a way that there is pain and a lot of people don't like pain. And so it's too big, but to bring in that, it's almost like that positive spin within the pain. And I've not really thought of it in that way. And I think that will, I'm definitely going to take that on board in the way that I, you know, communicate some of the things because I get to work with extremes. So mm -hmm. I, um, and whether that's at top decision tables, you know, closed doors with former presidents and some phenomenal people across the world to actually being at the face of humanity and then going, how do we bridge that gap? How do we narrow that? So messaging and communication, one of the things that I found really tricky is that I get to play with global leaders who, you know, we are, this conversation that we're having today is kind of my normal conversation with my people, right? My tribe. It's not the normal for every day. And you know that I work, you know, I run the other company as well. And so that is part of who I communicate with as well. Now, if I had that conversation that we're having today over there, that doesn't work. It really doesn't work. And so there's a massive gap between what I do here to what I need to do here. And I've had to learn different ways to communicate. It's funny because we talk about extremes and I even think of corporate. Part mm. of the thing I'm doing at the moment is corporate and entrepreneur world and going, hey, there's some amazing things from both sides of this. What if we talked and we communicated and we brought that together and collaborated with it as a collective? What could we bring to the table then? This is interesting because they are such extremes and the extremes make it very difficult to communicate because we communicate in a certain way over here. We communicate in a certain way over here. Bridging that gap is not always an easy thing. And I love the framework that you gave around that because I think that helps in all sorts of situations, not just in the sales, but I think that if we think, and you were talking about the biases and the meta biases. How could that help to be more effective with narrowing that gap from the extreme? So that is like a, a super challenging question. And if I could answer it in one word, I'd say transparency. Ooh. I would say transparency simply because I understand that the entrepreneur, the solopreneur, the business owner that's got a small oh. team is way, way, way more transparent than a corporate person right? Huh. If you're talking about C-level. C-level doesn't let the VPs in or doesn't let the man middle management come in and they don't like share numbers financially. Like you think financials is the easiest way for measurability. What corporate organization do you know where the CEO would share the profit and loss with, unless they're public, with like a middle manager? Like it just doesn't usually ever happen. And yeah. so like to be more transparent in a corporate world and maybe to give a little bit of protection to the solopreneur world, maybe that's the answer. The balance is, is mm. what I'd probably And so that's a lens in which you could use, right? A transparency yeah. lens. Why do we use the same lenses and hope that we get different results? 
I think it's cognitive processing power. Like people just don't want to go learn something new, especially if they're doing something that's producing a result that seems to be average or normal. They're just going to keep doing that because they're in this level or feeling of comfort, right? It's when you get uncomfortable and you walk that line of, I'm nervous as hell. I don't know if this is going to work. Like I believe I've retrained my brain to embrace that feeling because I know when I feel that I'm walking on the line where I need to be walking to make a breakthrough, to have a bigger impact. I love that. So what are you doing that you're learning that's different right now? So what I'm really focused on right now in terms of communication, so for those of you that don't know, they're listening to me, I actually teach sales and more so the lost art of prospecting because I feel like every business misses that part. At least our research has shown that. And so what I'm focused on right now is primal brain versus rational brain and how to bring that into the sales conversation. And you do that through meta biases. And that's why I mentioned that to you, because there's really like six meta biases. When you make any message, whether it be a sales message, whether it be a marketing message, whatever kind of messages, it has to follow a sequence of these six meta biases. The first one's visual. You got to make something visually appealing, right? So that means doing research with your audience, understanding what their favorite colors are. What are the colors that mean warmth? Like we talk about archetyping and some of those other things. So visual, right? The second one is personal. So if you don't make a message personal, the people are going to run away. Nobody wants to hear about you. They want to hear about them and solving their problems, right? So it's like our messaging needs to be very visual and very personal. Those are the first two. The second one is it needs to be memorable, meaning... Don't have a boatload of stuff. Have three or less points. Think about Volvo cars just for a second as an example. Volvo cars focuses on one point. What do you think it is, Kiri? Oh, my gosh. You're asking me? I have no idea. Okay. When you buy a Volvo, when you buy, a Volvo, you buy it for safety, don't you? Oh, of course. Yes. My friend had one. And that was always what she said. So whenever you see the conversation or commercial about Volvo, it's always about safety, 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 safety. That's the one point, the memorable piece. That's the thing. So it's like when you buy a Volvo, you're buying it for safety, right? Okay. So that's why memorable. So like most people, when they put in their message, they put too much stuff. So we just need to back that down. People can only, your primal brain can only cognitively process three things at a time. So keep it to three points or less. Typically what I say, the next one is memorable and tangible. You need to be able to see it, feel it, hold it. So in your Mm -hmm. message, are you having like, you know, we all talk about webinars. So if you're watching a webinar, you get to the stack slide or where you get to that place and you're like, here's this cool product you get. There's a slide that's going to come on tangibly showing you like, here's the box set that you get. Here's all the CDs that you get. Here's the workbook. There Mm -hmm. it is, right? That's the tangible piece, right? So it's memorable and you can touch it. And then Mm -hmm. the last is it needs to contrast. So it needs to be completely different. This is why before and afters and weight loss work so well. Um, If you think about like before and afters with coaching companies, they were doing this. Now they're doing this kind of numbers financially. That's the contrasting. And then the last piece is you need to keep it very, very emotional. And you get it emotional very simply by doing something called emotional lift. And I learned this Mm -hmm. from a company called SalesBrain. Very simply, how you give emotional lift to a message is you promise the big pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, and then you bring it back and you talk about something really scary. So you do opposites, right? So the emotion is created when you create this emotional lift of, I'm super happy, now I'm super sad. That's why if you watch any of these shows on Netflix or whatever, what do they do? They take you on this emotional roller coaster up and down. It's like, oh, heartbreak. Oh, I just saved the world. Oh, heartbreak, right? That's the emotional lift. So they create a tremendous amount of emotional lift 
in those shows and it keeps you coming back for more and more and more and more. That's so interesting. Do you know what's interesting is that when I think of even just my company, so there's this, and I think, and funny enough that there's so extreme. So on one side of it, my easy way of explaining what I do is really teaching you how to build collaboration through partnerships, right? Like that's the easy touch points and we've got, you know, different ways to do that. But if you really wanted to know my three top things, and that this is the extreme, this is the geeky end of me, this is what really is the thing that it's the new approach to leadership, it's the, you know, exercising or the secret advantage of the, you know, muscle of human intelligence, and it's seeing humanity as stakeholders at the decision table. These are not like easy, okay, let's sell you into this moment kind of moment, right? Like, and I know that, so that's why I don't teach from that as my three things that I bring you into my company and teach you around, even though that's so ingrained in every decision DNA that you make when you come in, right? So I find that fascinating what you're saying there, but I also go as an working with extremes right now, it's quite difficult to bring it back to something that, what is it, capsulates what people are thinking they need versus what they are actually needing versus what they would actually buy as well. What they want, right? Yeah. So this is the want to need conversation. I think what's interesting is appealing to their kind of their emotional set. And so what I think about is show, don't tell is a secret. Right. Oh, like if you okay. want this here is just like show, don't tell. So like, for example, you go after human trafficking and you're trying to end that. My passion is around ending world thirst. So like I have a big, long backstory that I could talk to you about forever and involve like whitewater rafting down the Zambezi River. I was born in South Africa, P.S. And so like I was whitewater rafting down. I had this crazy, crazy adventure and I went into this village and there was a lack of water. And I realized at that time, like it was kind of like the first out of three big like check marks of like why I yeah. want to end world thirst. Right. So. I could go down and tell you that story, but instead what I say is, listen, like every mastermind session that we run, here's the cool thing that we do at the back end. Yeah. This is the show yeah. don't tell is like every time we run a new mastermind session, we actually personally invest in a new clean water drinking well that's going to be installed in a third yeah. world country. That's what we do. And if you join our movement, for example, like the call to action piece is like, if you join our movement and you join one of our mastermind sessions, guess what? Your name's going to go on the plaque on yeah. the well. So you're already being philanthropic. Yes. And then people are like, whoa, that's really cool. Like, that's just a cool thing. So that's. But that's is, it, cool. is it just a cool thing? I don't know. And why does that have to be the flip thing? I question that because I do the same thing. But isn't it interesting? Because I think, what if we were to make that as the face, the priority of it? And that was the thing. Would mm-hmm. that change how we do things as humans going forward? I don't know but I'm still willing to put it out there. I know. I saw that look. It's it's just, I just want to say it's because people chase dollars. <laughs> they chase dollars over impact. If people I would know, just- but, but you can't. Like, here's the thing. I don't think it's one or the other. I get questioned about this all the time. And I say, dude, you have to increase your economic growth yeah. because the more you do that, the more you can impact. Yeah. It's not one or the other. Every decision you make at the decision table has an impact. Are you going to let that add value or is it going to be taking away from? Totally. That's all it is. It's as simple as that, right? But I still question it. I go, why do we have to bring the other one as the, hey, here's the drug way to the entrance. And then we bring that. I don't know. I just, 
for me, I'd love to see that flipped. That's all I'm saying. It goes back to solving pain, solving problems, because people can't sometimes see past their own problems. And I think that's the big hook is like, if you as an expert at what you do, like you are truly an expert, there's no question about this because you're running two companies, kicking ass, doing all the things you're doing. It's like, if you can help people jump over that pain that's right in front of them and you can get them to take a breath of fresh air, like, oh yeah, impact is way more valuable than dollars. And when creating impact, dollars is the byproduct. And when you kind of start teaching and coaching people into that mentality, now you've created the ripple. You know, Russ always told us about this ripple effect. Like that's the true ripple because when you can switch their mindset to, you can create as much dollars as you want. Just go earn more because there's an unlimited yeah. supply. Yeah. It's literally like focus on making an impact. That's why I chose End World Thirst because mm-hmm. it says experts say it's going to take $20 billion to end world thirst. Yeah. Not sure if I can get to $20 billion on my own, but if I block arms with cool ass people like you yeah. and some of these other entrepreneurs, exactly. like 20, $20 billion's in reach. It becomes so doable. Richard Branson was my, he was a game changer for me when, I, and I asked him a question and, you know, it just changed my life. I said, Richard, you must have, you know, all these people coming with all these amazing companies, amazing opportunities. How do you do all that? And he just said, Kira Marie, I don't go, how do I do it? Who in my world do I have that could do that piece? That one, that one over there. And that changed where I thought, oh my goodness, I'm thinking way too crazy big. I must be crazy woman. And realized I'm not thinking big enough because now it's unstoppable, right? And I think that that for me was just such a changing point because I realized that this is not about us, not what we just do individually, but what what can we do as a collective? And I just want to say thank you so much. Hey, if people want to know more about you, and connect with you, how do they best do that? Yeah, well, if you're a business owner and you want to learn the lost art of prospecting and sales, that's what I'm really good at. Just come on over to our Facebook group. It's just facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash sales ascenders inner circle. You can look it up on Facebook. If that's too much, just look up Sean Malone. Look for my ugly mug and send me a personal message. That's going to be Whatever, ugly mug, whatever. You crack me up. Okay, so I do ask this question because I believe there's a few fundamentals to leadership. One of them is awareness, then ownership, then change, and then sustainability. And so we've had a great conversation. Oh my goodness, I've so loved this conversation. Uh, you know, and you've created so much awareness, I reckon, around some of the things that you've brought up today. I love the strength of the words that you bring as well. Obviously, you're intentional on that, but I, as a person who really looks at how she says things, what she says, and what that's then perceived as. I really, you know, I love to hear great words and things like persistent and consistent. And, you know, like, to me, those are strong words. And then you break down into some of the, like, I love talking about the meta biases. I'm really interested to find out more about what you're doing in that way. Because I think that, you know, there's so much strength when we know. We don't know what we don't know, but when we do, then there's an ownership to it. So thank you for all that you've brought to this conversation today. But the one question I do ask is this, and that is, what are you taking from our conversation today? 
So I love the, what you talk about, the importance of human intelligence. I like the movement that you've created. That's a big takeaway for me is just knowing that there's other people out there that are like still working to do the same thing. Because I think personally for me, I'm more empathic than anything else. You know, there's visual auditory and kinesthetic style of people who learn and I'm more kinesthetic and visual. And so the feeling that I get in speaking with you and just knowing that I'm not alone is probably my biggest takeaway from today. And just secondly, like your questions. One of the things that I know where you've truly done the mind work, you've truly done the skill work, and you truly have the network. You've dropped some really big names. And so I look for those kinds of three elements. I like to connect with people. That's me. That's why I like communication. It's all about connecting in a very, very meaningful way. And when I hear somebody that speaks like you do and drops the great words, does the good things, like I know you've transcended or ascended to the level where you can truly make a bigger impact. And so for me, just knowing I'm not alone in the quest to impact others is my biggest number one takeaway. Wow. And for me, I so appreciate that. And I'll tell you why, because before the world shut down, we as a family were nomadic. So I was like known as the nomadic CEO. That's what people called me. And part of my work and one of the reasons I love to travel across the world was because I got to be involved in so many different cultures to learn. There's such a learning ground when you travel the world and I heard you love to travel. And so part of my work that I did was I began realizing that there was this thing called isolation. This was way before a pandemic hit, by the way. And I began writing around isolation and saying that it was a epidemic I saw, not just in leadership, but across humanity. And interesting enough, what came out of my writing when I was writing it was the solution that I felt was the answer to it was collaboration. I think, yeah. And I think, and that's why now my whole company, the whole focus is how can we be the role model for collaboration? And let me tell you, I'm looking to see how others do it, what that looks like. And there's actually not a lot of great examples to collaboration. And I think that this is how we have been these amazing islands that have been isolated, but we are so much stronger when we connect together and we become this force that then can actually be the difference that is needed across the world. And that's my endeavor right now is to go, well, how can we connect together? How can we collaborate? How can we join and not be these isolated islands, but be this collective that is moving forward? So for me today, that what you just said there was, I'm very thankful for that. So thank you so much for sharing. Thank you for being you, Sean. I, you know, this is the first time that I've connected with you. And, you know, this has been amazing for me. I've enjoyed this. I want to know more about what you do and learn more about what I love the way that you talk about sales. I'm one of these kind of geeky people who, you know, if you looked at my piles of books that I've got on, actually, one of them is, you know, the traffic stuff around Richard Brunson. And then I've got like learning about a movement, the importance of movement in our brain cells. And then I'm reading a book on Candace Owens and then another one on Barack Obama and then another one on, yeah, right? And then the interesting one, my last one of that pile is, I'm just looking because it's sitting over there, is American Kingpin. So there you go. Like that's how crazy my brain is. So when you talk about sales, 
in a way that I go, wow, that's fascinating. And I'm always looking for something that's different, the way people are doing it. So thank you for turning up, for having this conversation, for being willing to step in your world, which, you know, there is a certain way in which people have done sales in the past, but I love what you talk on. You, you know, you talk about skill set and you can tell you've worked the mind, you've got the skill set. So thank you for not just saying it, but being it as well. And man, what a conversation we've had today. So if you're going to leave for everyone, because I'm about to end this broadcast, but if you're going to leave anyone with anything, what would that be today? Two things. I know that we're in a really tough place in terms of the humanity right now. Yeah. And I just, the one message I would share to you is like, if I wrote a letter to myself when I was 21 years old, the message mm-hmm. would be, everything's going to be okay. And the second thing is exactly what our CEO preaches. His name's Chris Baden. He says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And I think that ties in very nicely with what you shared. That's beautiful. I can't say anything any better than that. Thank you everyone for listening. Thank you, Sean, for being here. What an amazing decision table today. Amazing droplets of wisdom for you from today's episode. Make sure you subscribe, ensure you leave an awesome rating and review. Our hope is this podcast creates a new awareness, activates ownership to what is next, a curiosity for the need to be part of the change and to make footsteps of sustainability from today onwards. If you want to further your journey with us, then apply to join us at our next Leaders Movement Parlay. The link is in the show notes. We appreciate you. Help us to help build a tribe who make humanity as stakeholders. To achieve this together, recommend this podcast to leaders, innovators, and movement changers. Big love until we see you on the next Decision Table Series podcast episode.